Our reading for today came to me, as so many things do these days, through Facebook. Um, it was shared by um, my friend and fellow um, church member, Robin Gerhardt, and it is written by Krista O'Reilly Davy Duguay, who is an author of a blog called A Life in Progress. What if all I want is a mediocre life? What if all I want is a small, slow, simple life? What if I am most happy in the space of in-between, where calm lives? What if I am mediocre and choose to be at peace with that? The world is such a noisy place, loud, haranguing voices lecturing me to hustle, to improve, build, strive, yearn, acquire, compete, and grasp for more. For bigger and better, sacrifice sleep for productivity, strive for excellence, go big or go home. Have a huge impact on the world and make your life count. But what if I just don't have it in me? What if all the striving for excellence leaves me sad, worn out, depleted, drained of joy? Am I simply not enough? What if I never really amount to anything when I grow up beyond mom and sister and wife? But these people in my primary circle of impact know they are loved and that I would choose them again if given the choice. Can this be enough? What if I never build an orphanage in Africa but send bags of groceries to people here and there to support a couple of kids through sponsorship? What if I just offer the small gifts I have to the world and let that be enough? What if I don't want to write a cookbook or build a six-figure business or speak before thousands, but I write because I have something to say and I invest in a small community of women I care about and encourage them to love and care for themselves as well because bigger isn't always better and the individual matters. She is enough. What if I just accept this mediocre body of mine that is neither big nor small, just in between, and embrace that I have no desire to work for rock-hard abs or 18% body fat, and I make peace with that and decide that when I lie on my deathbed, I will never regret having just been me. Take me or leave me. What if I am a mediocre hand home manager who rarely dusts and ma mostly maintains order and makes real food but sometimes orders pizza and who is horrified at moments at the utter mess in some areas of her home who loves menu planning and budgeting but then breaks her own rules and pushes back against rigidity who doesn't care about decorating and fancy things whose home is humble but safe what if I'm not cut out for the frantic pace of this society and cannot even begin to keep up and see so many others with what appears to be boundless energy and stamina, but know that I need tons of solitude and calm and abundance of rest and swaths of unscheduled time in order to be healthy, body, spirit, soul, healthy. Am I enough? 
What if I am too religious for some and not spiritual enough for others? Non-evangelistic, not bold enough, not willing to share in quiet ways, or I'm sorry, but willing to share in quiet ways, in genuine relationship, my deeply rooted faith, and my doubts and insecurities. This will have to be enough. And if I have been married 21 years and love my husband more today than yesterday, but have never had a fairy tale romance and break the experts' marriage rules about doing tons of activities together and having a bunch in common, and we don't, and we like time apart and time together, is our marriage good enough? What if I am a mom who delights in her kids but needs time to herself and sometimes just wants to be first and doesn't like to play but who hugs and affirms and supports her kids in their passions? A mediocre mom who can never live up to her own expectations, let alone yours. Am I enough? What if I embrace my limitations and stop railing against them? Make peace with who I am and what I need and honor your right to do the same. Accept that all I really want is a slow, small, simple life, a mediocre life, a beautiful, quiet, gentle life. I think it is enough. When I was first asked to do this service, I thought, what could I possibly have to share that somebody might find connection with? I don't feel I have great wisdom or insights to share, and I am not an activist who champions great causes. Don't get me wrong. I am concerned about so many things in the world today. The environment, racial injustice, conflicts across the globe, poverty, mental health issues, LGBTQ rights. The list goes on. In fact, the list is so long that sometimes I feel overwhelmed by it, and I begin to worry that my small efforts may seem insignificant, may not make a difference at all. I am simply a teacher by trade and a mother at heart. I'm a nurturer and a caregiver I guess you might say that it runs in my family. I grew up in the Midwest, just outside of Kansas City, in an area much like Leesburg. And my family was not wealthy. In fact, by most standards, my parents were quite poor when they first married. But I grew up knowing that above all, family matters. Family doesn't just include those people who share your genetic makeup. It includes the people that you meet along the way, that you become friends with. When I was growing up, there was often another person, another child, another kid living in our house. Sometimes it was a teenager whose parents had kicked them out for one reason or another, a kid whose parents had divorced and neither wanted the responsibility of raising a difficult teenager, or a kid whose mother was a drug addict and her father was nowhere to be found. These kids found love and safety in our home. My parents were not registered as foster parents and never received any compensation for the support they provided. They did so because they knew they were making a difference 
in the life of someone else. At night, when my mom made dinner, she always cooked way more than we needed. We still tease her about it, but she doesn't know how to cook for a small group of people because she said she never knew who would stop by. And often, someone did. Whether it was my uncle who was living on his own, my grandmother whose husband had passed away, or some other friend or family, there was often someone else at our house at dinner. I can also remember my mom leaving the door to the house unlocked at times when we would leave because she knew that the teenager high school student who lived down the street in a garage apartment all on his own would come by sometimes when we weren't home to have something to eat. In addition to family, education was high on my parents' list of priorities. Neither of my parents graduated from college, but they saw the impact that it could make. However, the idea of their children going to college was not really something that they had entertained. Thus, they never saved for that possibility. So when I decided I wanted to do just that after graduating from high school, my parents' only question was how to make it work. They took out a second mortgage on the house, and I am certain that they made sacrifices. I will never know. I graduated not only with my undergraduate degree, but also my master's without a dime of student loans. My education is one of the greatest gifts that my parents gave me. So I fast forward now a few more years than I'd like to admit, and I stand before you reflecting on our principles what they mean to me, and how they shape my life. I am more aware now than ever before how those experiences of growing up in rural Can or suburban Kansas have shaped the person I am today. Family and education remain at the core of who I am. I would like to tell you that I have visited orphanages in distant countries or that I've participated in great acts of protest, but I have not. I have a tremendous respect for those among us who have, and I love hearing their stories, but it's not where my journey has led me. I used to feel guilty about this, felt I wasn't doing enough, wasn't making a big enough difference in the world, wasn't doing all that I could. But I have come to realize that for me, living my principles is a daily act. My faith is not about grand gestures and big actions. Instead, it's about my daily interactions with the people around me. Our reading for today is one that I have returned to often. Initially, I would return to it because it gave me comfort. It spoke to me. I felt relieved to know that I was not the only one who felt this way, who felt guilty that I wasn't doing more or contributing more or being more. It's so easy to get caught up in our society's push to have more, be more, and do more. However, as I have read and reread those words, something else began to reveal itself to me. I began to see the great juxtaposition between the title, A Mediocre Life, and the day-to-day -day events that the author describes. The little things. 
I believe that it is in the little details that gives our lives beauty and meaning. There's nothing mediocre about these daily acts of service. And I have seen time and again the impact that a small act of love and kindness can have on someone's life. As most of you know, and as Ricky shared, I do work for Loudoun County Public Schools. And in my career as an educator, which spans over two decades, I have experienced this time and time again. My first teaching assignment was in a private school in Miami, Florida. Sounds very glamorous, but not so much. The school was created for students with learning disabilities. These were children who had been unsuccessful in traditional schools, and school was not a place they wanted to be. With a lot of support and kindness, many of these students began to flourish and make great academic gains. When I moved to Northern Virginia, my first teaching assignment was in Alexandria City. I worked in a Title I school there. And for those of you who aren't familiar with that designation, Title I is a federal program that identifies a school as having a significant amount of students who fall within the low socioeconomic status. Many of my students at that school were first-generation immigrants, and some of them had left siblings and family members behind in the countries they, they left. As a teacher, there are often children who you remember long after they've left your classroom door. For me, one of those students was Abdul. Abdul came to our school as a first grader from Sierra Leone. When he first arrived, he didn't know how to sit in a chair. He would put both his feet on the seat and perch because this was the experience he had had. His father was working three jobs to provide for the family and because they only had one car, it was very difficult for his mother to come to school for conferences or meetings. Although he did not yet write, his le write letters, Abdul drew pictures that needed no words for you to understand their meaning. His drawings were full of graphic images that depicted scenes of violence from a war-torn country. The amount of detail he included in these pictures led us to believe that these were reflections of violence that he had um, seen or been personally a part of. When it came time to do our annual parent-teacher conferences, it is always very important to me that I meet with all of my parents. And so I convinced the counselor to go with me to do a home visit. As I walked into the, the apartment where Abdul lived, I was amazed at the number of people who lived in that home. It was a tiny high-rise apartment in Alexandria City, and there must have been at least four or five families living in that small two-bedroom space. There was a small TV in the corner of the living room, but no sofa, because extra mattresses were on the floor for people to sleep. As we sat at the table in the kitchen, Abdul's mother shared with us her dream for her son's future. The family had come to this country so that Abdul could have a tomorrow free of violence and hatred they had experienced in their home country. 
Over the course of the two years that Abdul was my student, the counselor and I worked to connect the family with resources and provide them with food and clothing whenever possible. Abdul learned to read and write, and his stories were no longer filled with those graphic images from a war-torn country. He had other memories now to draw on, memories of friendship and fun and laughter. Daily acts of love and kindness made a difference to this family. I have also seen this idea reflected in my daughters. My husband and I have tried to raise our children to believe that individual differences are to be celebrated, and it is our uniqueness that makes us special. We try to teach our girls to be tolerant of others' beliefs while still maintaining their own sense of identity. We have been delighted again and again at the experiences that they share with us. Emma has become a champion for the underdog. She sticks up for kids when she sees it or hears others saying things that are unkind. Grace came home on the first day of school this year to tell us how she had invited the new kid to sit with them at lunch so that he wouldn't be by himself. I know it's, made, I know it's been a long time since I've been in middle school or high school, but I remember what a rough place that can be. And I know that those acts of kindness would have made a difference to me. There are many people in our community who make a difference for others every day. Often their acts of kindness go unnoticed. They do it quietly and without recognition. They are those who volunteer to read to a child, who take the dishes home after service and wash them, open the church and make the coffee in the morning. They clean up the litter on our streets, weed our gardens, donate food for backpack buddies or interfaith relief. They purchase extra school supplies and collect suits for veterans. There are so many ways that each of us makes a difference every day. It may not be on the world stage, but it is important nonetheless. Another memory I have of growing up is of a piece of paper that my mother kept tacked to a board in her office. When I was little, I would ask her what the words were and she would read them to me. As I grew up and later even worked in that office with her for a, small for a short amount of time, the yellowed piece of paper remained. On it were written in her handwriting the words of poet Ralph Waldo Emerson. To laugh often and much, to win the respect of intelligent people and the affection of children, to earn the appreciation of honest critics and endure the betrayal of false friends, to appreciate beauty, to find the best in others, to leave the world a bit better, whether by a healthy child a garden patch, or a redeemed social condition. To know even one life has breathed easier because you have lived. This is to have succeeded. This is my personal aspiration in life, 
to leave the world a bit better, whether that be by donating to the local food bank, recycling and reducing my carbon footprint, supporting the work of others by signing petitions and making monetary contributions, chairing the RE committee and working with the children and youth of our congregation, or simply being mom to my two beautiful daughters. It has taken me a long time to be content in saying that all these things matter. No matter how seemingly small, they make a difference to someone. Maybe someday I'll get that opportunity to travel to schools and orphanages in distant lands, to have an impact on the world on a larger scale. But for now, this beautifully mediocre life is enough. Blessed be.